Hey, this is Caleb Clay, Associate Pastor of Anchor Faith Church here in Valdosta, Georgia. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We believe that it will minister to you and be a blessing to your life. Now get ready to receive a word from God. And so we're going to go over to Proverbs chapter 18 here in just a second. But tonight we're going to be talking about the power of your words. And so we, we've been really dealing with the authority of the believer and our position in Christ over the last probably month or so. And let me, let me do this plug really quick. If you have missed out on a service or you weren't able to be here, all of our services are available to you for free online. And I highly encourage you go online and re-listen to them. Even if you were in service, go back and listen to them over again, because I'll tell you right now, you can't get everything just in one sitting you'll constantly get more and more. And so I encourage you, go back, listen to the messages that are available. But we've been doing a lot of ministering on your position, your identity. And that's one of the most crucial things. And I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, if people would just figure out their identity in Christ, it would solve a lot of their problems. That a lot of the problems they face right now, it's because they're having an identity crisis and they don't know what they have in Christ. They don't know the authorities that they hold. Because you see, Christ came and he was the deliverer, the savior of the world, but he also is the Lord of all. Lord simply is the landlord. He owns everything. It's the supreme in authority. So we use that term landlord because everybody knows that we, me and my wife, we have a landlord. Well, guess what? The AC went out the other day. Guess what I did? I called the landlord. Guess what he did? He called the people. They sent out the, the little fix-it truck. They did it, and they sent him the bill. I didn't have to pay for anything. But yet, we sit here as kingdom citizens, and we go, oh, there's a problem. God, I'll figure this out. And we start going into problem-solving ourselves instead of going to the source and saying, Lord, what, what have you already given me? What do I already have in my toolbox here that has already taken care of this? And so one of the things we're going to be looking at, and this is a kingdom principle, is that you have power in your words. And we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look, but we're going to go right here really quick. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. And this scripture starts off and it says, 18, that was really loud, sorry. 18, 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, here's what I want you to underline, and I want you to understand really quick. Both of these are able to come out of one tongue, death and life. Now, here's the factor that comes into play. Who is the source of each one of those? Because you control the tongue, and we'll look at that here in just a little bit. But you get to determine what comes out, death or life. But I'll tell you this, you will gain the fruit of whatever you speak. And so whatever comes out, guess what? That's going to be the fruit that's produced. And so we'll get there. But we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1, all the way in the very beginning, because we have to start at the very front. Genesis is talking about the beginning of things. And so obviously, Genesis chapter 1 is the account of creation. It's the very start. If I can get my Bible to flip over there. There we go. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. 
as Audrey ministered last Wednesday night, and she was talking about her new Bible and how it's not broken. Well, I decided to use my new Bible, and it's definitely not podium ready, <laughs> as I would say. But Genesis chapter 1, it starts off and it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then verse number three shows up. And it says, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And see, this is a very fundamental, I mean, our Christian faith starts with God created the world. I mean, we started this with all of our kids, but even Isaac right now, he just turned to our youngest son. And we've trained him that when we say this verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens, we point up to heaven, and the earth, and we'll touch the earth. And he's got that down. If you walk over to him and you say, all right, Isaac, let's, let's do Genesis 1-1. He knows it. He understands that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But see, we look at this and it's a very elementary truth. But there's a powerful beginning that starts in verse 3. And it says, then God said, because nothing had happened to this very point. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the surface of the deep. And he's waiting for the voice of the creator to say, move. He's waiting. So then God said, let there be light. And boom, there was light. Then he goes on and we read through the account of creation, how everything that was made was first spoken by God. But then we go to verse number 26. And of course, we're going to go here. If you've been here with us any amount of time, this is, a, this is the kingdom start right here. Verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And I love this verse because God recognized that I have created all this. Because he goes through all six days and gets to this point. Now we have the light and darkness. We have day and night. We have sea separated from land. We have growth. We have cattle. We have creeping things. We have everything that is on the earth. And God says, I need somebody to rule this the way I would. So we're going to make man according to how we run things. So then he goes on. And Aaron, I didn't put this in there, but we'll just go over there really quick. But in Genesis chapter 2, it goes on and it talks about how God formed man from the dust of the earth. And it says, then he breathed life into him. And so it, it shows us that God put himself, he breathed the breath of life into man to put every part of his being of creation in man. And so now we have man on the earth with no sin. Perfect. I mean, it is the way God designed it to be. So then God tells man, you need to name all the animals. And he starts giving him jobs. Then he tells him man's not supposed to be alone. He creates Eve. Obviously, we know he pulls it from the rib. And then now man has a helper who is to be just like God in the earth. So then they start going. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. You rule over earth just like I rule heaven. So Adam does. 
And then we go just a short chapter over and we see that there was something in the earth waiting for the image of God to show up. And we see the serpent show up and that is obviously the tempter. That's the devil in serpent form. And he goes and he tempts Eve. But what does he first go and do? He asks a question. He says, can you eat of this? She says, well, we, we can eat of any tree in the garden except this one. We can't even look at it. We can't touch it. She starts talking. And he starts having this conversation. Because power is being created as they speak. Because they are in the same image, same likeness, just as the creator God. And so everything that they're doing, they could speak and they literally could have just spoke to the serpent, get out, and he would have had to leave. But yet they entertained another voice. They entertained another thought. So then obviously sin enters the earth because they disobeyed the word of the king because literally forcefully men because of disobedience. They disobeyed God's voice. God did not forcefully make them stay away from the tree. He told them of all the trees in the garden you can eat except for the one in the middle. And I love how God is because, I mean, he put the thing smack dab in the middle of the garden and said, all the trees in the garden you can eat except for that one. What if God would have started off and said, all the trees you can eat except for one of them, good luck. Don't eat it. But I'm not going to tell you which one it is, so hopefully you don't go to that tree. But yet he wasn't because we are a free will moral agent. So we get to determine our actions. So we get to determine our thoughts, our intentions, what we want to do. And so, yeah, they screwed up. But God said, you know what? I got a new plan. We're going to have this plan. And we know, obviously, going through history, God used so many different people to bring about his plan to get us to Jesus. And I mean, I love going through the history of the Bible and looking to see how God lined up every little source and where it looked like it was a, a little notch in his plan. It really was by design and it goes all the way through. But here's the thing that we got to take away from Genesis chapter one. Just like God created the earth with his voice, you create your world by your words. And you have to understand that. Your world is that sphere of influence. It's that thing that surrounds you, that you create it by the words that you speak. And see, and we live in a culture nowadays where it, there's very little value of words. They don't have a lot of weight. I mean, growing up, I remember there was a lot of weight on words. I mean, my grandpa, he was one that he spoke very little, but when he spoke, you listened. We have nowadays the opportunity to share your voice with the world and people will sit there and just talk and talk and talk until they start running out of things to type or run out of things to say. And there's very little weight on your words, but you see in the kingdom of God, that's still a principle. The words that you speak mean things. The words that you speak create things. And you have to be very careful, and we're going to see in Scripture how your words will manifest. But there are just a few biblical examples I'll just tell you real quick. We won't turn there, but we'll get to our, our story. But obviously with Moses and the children of Israel, 
Moses was God's deliverer for the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. But even with Moses, the first thing out of the gate, God tells him, you're going to be the one that delivers my people. Moses goes, God, I can't talk. I, I have a problem speaking. I, I, I'm not elegant with words. I can't, I can't say these things. He was going to the one thing that he was afraid of. Well, I, I can't do what you're asking me to do because I can't speak. What he didn't know was he was creating God's image according to his likeness. And when God called him, he anointed him. And so finally God's like, you know what? Fine, we're gonna bring Aaron. He can speak. He's gonna be your voice piece. But you're gonna relay everything that I tell you to him and he'll speak it. But then we go on a little bit further in that story and we see Joshua and Caleb. And all of a sudden the story of the 12 spies going into Israel. And they were going into the Canaan land, the promised land. 10 of them came back with a negative report. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came back with the word of the king. Here's the thing. None of the congregation that stayed back saw the land. So guess what they believed? Words. That's all they believed. Because those 10 men spoke something, it created an image in their mind. They said, yeah, the land is exactly what God said it would be. They didn't have pictures. They didn't have video recordings of the land itself. They came back speaking words, but see, their words were so powerful that yet it transformed their mind from, yes, we can take the land. God said, this is ours. It is exactly what he said it will be to, yes, it is, but... There's giants in the land. And those giants were like grasshoppers in their eyes. And there's no way we could ever take that. And because of those words, the whole nation said, we trust them. There's more of them over here. And yet Joshua and Caleb are over there. And I, I always just imagined it in my head. Those two just almost ripping their hair out, saying, what are you doing? Do you not believe the God that was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day, the one that split open the Red Sea for us. And now you're saying just because you saw some little giant of a man that my God's not able to. But you see, because of their stance, they were the only two that got to enter into the promised land 40 years later. Because if you read in that story over in Exodus, when you're reading that account, it actually says the congregation comes back the next morning and says, whoa, 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 we messed up. We can do it. We can do it. No, 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 God, I'm sorry. We didn't mean to say that. We can actually take this. And he says, it's too late. You've already spoken it because your words will create your world. And so we have to understand that we have power in what we say. We have power in just the simple conversations we have in people's life. And so over in Mark 11, because you see, Jesus was a great example of this, of having power in your words. And obviously, Jesus is our example. But over in Mark chapter 11, let's start in verse number 12. It says, on the next day, when they had <clears throat> left Bethany, they, came, they became hungry. It says, seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, 
he found nothing but leaves, for it was not in season for figs. So he said to it, this is Jesus, because in my Bible it's red letter. It says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. And so then we're going to skip down to verse number 20. And so they go into this town, they go to the temple, but verse number 20, they're coming out and they're leaving that evening and they pick it up here. And it says, as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And it says, being reminded, Peter said to him, he said, Rabbi, look at the fig tree, which you curse has withered. And it says, Jesus answers, saying to him, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. Now you see in verse number 24, it says, therefore I say to you all things of which you pray and ask. Well, I was talking to an individual the other day and he told me, he said, well, if God is all knowing, then I mean, why should I even pray? I said, here's the thing, God is all knowing. God is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning from the end. It says he knows that all of our days are numbered. He has that written down. I said, but here's the thing, on this earth, he set up a principle that we have dominion. We have the authority. So God didn't just come down and say, you know what? I'm going to take back control. Obviously, you guys can't handle it. I, see, I saw what happened there. I'm just going to be the supreme in authority. I'm going to run with this. No, he needed a man, somebody in a skin suit to show up. So now we have to ask. We have to use our voice. And so when he was saying in verse 23, it says, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it'll be granted to him. And so now you have this position, you have this authority that what you say holds weight. I mean, he was even talking to his disciples, talking about the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will, shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And so many times people who are questioning, wondering, God wants us to represent what God's doing in heaven on this earth to this day. So the words that you say should be unlocking doors for heaven to flow through you. That's how heaven gets to the earth today is not by us sitting here saying, all right, God, you do whatever you want to do. Have your way. No, heaven gets moved to earth by us saying, God, I thank you you're gonna move in such and such's life today. That the cancer that the doctors have said it is there, we bind that and we curse it at its roots in the name of Jesus. It has to leave and it has no place here. That's a whole lot different than saying, Lord, do whatever you want to do there. Because when you understand your authority and you understand the power of your words, now you can start speaking to different things. You can start speaking to different situations. And here's what happens. The coolest thing in the world. Instead of you being there, now the king shows up. Because it says where the word of the king is, there is power. So when we start speaking these words, it's just as if Jesus was speaking them 
to this day. Because he said, even greater works will you do once I go. And so that happens when we operate in our authority and our position. And so we go on. And so Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 14. Let's go look over here. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 14. says, a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his what? Words, mouth. And the deeds of the man's hands will return to him. And so with your words, you can be satisfied. But here's the thing. It's only through the word of the king. So many times, so many people want to state their opinion. I want them to know how I think. I want them to know how I feel. I'm going to tell them how I really feel. King on your lips is what satisfies. Now let's go over to Romans chapter 10. Because see, we all should know this verse. Because this is the verse for the new birth. This is the salvation prayer. Romans chapter 10, verse number nine. And here we go. This is how powerful your words are. You ready? It says that if you confess with your mouth, your what? So obviously confession is speaking. You're creating a covenant. When you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. And so you have to understand here with your mouth, you actually transform things. With your mouth, you can transform things from death to life. Because remember, in the tongue holds the power of life and death. You have to use your mouth in order to confess, to get out of the old sin. Where Adam had fallen and where Adam was stuck, living in a sinful world, he couldn't do anything with his voice then. Even with his hands, it tells us that he was gonna be cursed to toil over the land. But you see, Jesus came back to reestablish what Adam had lost. He wanted to bring back the kingdom that Adam had He said, I'm coming to deliver it. But it had to come through the sinless, blameless man. And so we're going to go look at how powerful our tongue is, our voice is. And over in James, it paints a pretty crazy picture. But we're going to go over to James chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 3. It says, Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Let me, let me say this. Growing up, in, I'm originally from Oklahoma, born and raised there until I was about 17. I was a ranch boy. So I grew up working with cattle, working with horses. I mean, when you see the old pictures of the cattle drives where everybody's on horses with ropes, that was me. 
I mean, all of my pictures, I mean, Robert, our worship leader, he's got pictures from staying at my house with my parents of me back in the Old West garb. I mean, when I was like three years old. Cowboy hats, spurs, boots, whole nine yards. That's who I was. So as I grew up, I started working with horses and training horses and breaking horses in, doing all the crazy cowboy stuff that you would always imagine happening in the Midwest. That's what I did, and that's what I loved. And so whenever I was old enough, my parents got me a horse. And this horse was the same age as me at the time. We were both born, same year, everything else. So I thought it was awesome. I think I was about 11 years old when I got this horse. One problem, the horse had not been touched in two years. So he was wild as wild comes. And my parents said, are you sure you want this horse? I said, absolutely, I want him. So a bit is a metal rod that is put on a halter or they put it on a bridle. And so it goes around the horse's head and it has this metal rod that sits on top of the tongue. And you have reins to come off of that. And with a little pressure from each side, you train the horse which direction you want it to go. Well, here's one problem that I ran into. He wouldn't open his mouth to put the bit in. So he said, no, that ain't happening. I'm like, all right. So I had to learn how to do it without a bit. And I had to work with this horse. And I had to teach it verbal commands. I had to teach it tones. Whenever I would show up at the ranch, I would get out of the truck. My parents would drop me off and I would walk into the barn. If I didn't see him, I would whistle. But here's the thing is the ranch that we kept him at, there was about 50 other horses. So you whistle normal and all of them come. So I said, I'm going to train him to respond to a certain whistle. So I would do my whistle and it would be different than everybody else's. And all of a sudden you'd see all these horses just grazing and you'd see one head pop up. And then he would come running over to the barn. And it took a lot of trust, took a lot of work to finally get him to open his mouth, put the bit in his mouth so that way I could start working with him and really get him to control the way I wanted to. And then we got to the point where he didn't need to have anything on his head. And I could hop on him bareback and literally just use his own mane to turn him the direction we wanted because it took communication. And so we had to work on these things. And so when he's talking about putting the bit in the horse's mouth, it's a small piece about this big that will steer a thousand pound animal in any direction you want to go. You want to stop, it'll stop them. If you want it to go left, it'll turn it left. Mine, I could actually just barely tap on it and he would do a full circle and spin around. And it's amazing how one little piece can control the whole body. And so this is what James is referencing. He said, now if we put the bit into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by the strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder at the very rear of it. It says, wherever the, uh, wherever the captain wants to go. And then we go on to, what, what verse was that? I just lost it. So we're going to five. There we go. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. So here we go. You ready for this? See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. And a, the very world of iniquity, it says the tongue is set among our members 
as that which defiles the entire body, yet sets on fire the course of our life, and it sets on fire by hell. And so now we're getting deep. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poisons. With it, we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessings and cursings. My brethren, this, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. And so we've been talking about this contrast. Over in Proverbs, we saw that life and death are in the power of the tongue, but yet now we see how the tongue is such a small piece of our makeup, but yet it holds so much power. Because in even in another um, verse over in Proverbs, it talks about how the power, the tongue is in the mouth gateway and how whenever it comes forth, it comes from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so whatever's in there is gonna come out. So that's where it's very evident. Whenever you get around certain people, the tongue is an identifier. You can find out where people are at by their conversations they're having. I mean, who's ever been around somebody who talks very, very negative? Thank you, I was gonna say, I hope I'm not the only one. Dear Lord. But you get around those situations and you get around those people and what starts happening to the atmosphere around you? It gets heavy. It starts changing. You can have the best day of your life. I mean, you woke up on time. You got dressed on time. You got out the door. You even had time to stop and get coffee. And then you walk into work and somebody did not have that type of morning. Somebody walks in there and they are ticked off with everything. I can't believe that train was in my way. I am five minutes late. Oh my gosh, my kids wouldn't listen to me this morning. All of a sudden, your good morning just goes, ha, ha, okay. And all of a sudden, you start walking on eggshells. And your whole atmosphere changes because of what? The power of someone's words. But you see, that's where we show up. As kingdom citizens, he says, you are the light in the darkness. You are the light set on the hilltop, the city on the hill that cannot be hidden. And so that's where we show up. And you start having different conversations. You start having this different attitude. They start asking the question, what is wrong with you? Why are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? No, actually I'm not. Because we get to look at it at a different lens. We get to look through it at what our king says. And that's where we go back full circle to where we were just talking about is your identity. It's so important you find out who you are in Christ, who you are, who you've been created to be. Why are you here? Because the moment you find that out, all these other things become so small. All the trials that you face, because guess what? We were never promised a trial-free life. Did you guys know that? Never. That wasn't part of his promises. 
But he did promise that he would be faithful and that he would never leave us an orphan and that he would show us the way of escape and that he would be with us every step of the way. And so we can start looking at how God responds and how Jesus responded and all these different things. But we're gonna look at a few more scriptures and then we'll wrap it up. But Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28. They're gonna have it. I'm gonna have you just, Aaron, we're gonna kind of go through these. But it says, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Ponders how to answer. And it says, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And so I was sitting there and this happened to me the other day. I was working at my job and we had a situation pop up. And every instinct in me wanted to just splurt out an answer right then. But every instinct in me from God said, you better keep your mouth shut. And so now I got this internal battle happening. And it's, Pastor Mark did a series a while back. It is still available online to listen to, but it was called The Internal Struggle, Eternal Struggle. But it was talking about the internal struggle, about how our flesh wants to do something, but yet God says we should do the opposite. And it's this constant battle. Paul talks about this. But you get faced with a moment there. I know, has anyone else been in this moment? Awesome, I'm not alone. But you get this moment and it's just like the old cartoons where all of a sudden the devil pops up on one shoulder and the angel's on the other and they're battling back and forth. You should say this, you could really say this and this. that's gonna be a zinger. And they're gonna be like, oh, did he just say that? And, but on the other hand, you gotta listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it says the righteous ponder how to answer. Sometimes the best thing to do is not say anything at all. Sometimes the best thing to do is just say, you know what? I'll get back to you on that. Because in the moment, your flesh just wants to let it all out. It wants to pour it out evil things. But yet we're created to be different. We're created to be in the image of the creator himself. So every aspect of you should point people back to him. And so in the moments where there's people that are just pushing those buttons, they want a response. They want to see you respond. And all of a sudden you say, I'll get back to you on that. Oh, it makes them mad. It makes them so mad. But it doesn't give them the gratification they wanted because righteousness ponders. It waits. It responds clearly. Going on to Proverbs chapter 15, verse number one. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So in this scripture right here, who is the determining factor? Everybody say this with me. Say, I am. You are. Not the other person. You can't control. Let me tell you this. You can't control what they're going to do. You can't. And so when you get that in your mindset of I can only control what I can do, oh man, it's freeing. It is liberating. Because then you know, I did everything I was supposed to do, Lord. I did it exactly how your scripture said. I'm good. 
They didn't respond the way that I thought they were going to. They responded in complete anger and disgust. And they said some horrible things, Lord, that I can't even repeat to you in this prayer. But when you know that you are standing in righteousness and you say, God, I want you to be glorified. You'll see the glory manifest out because it says a gentle answer turns away wrath. I mean, there's been so many times where you can be in a heated conversation like I just said a little bit ago, where all of a sudden you got that choice. I mean, me and my wife, we've had what we call intense times of fellowship. (laughs) Intense times of fellowship where I'm sitting there and we're going back and forth, trying to communicate as calmly as possible and as quietly as possible. And I'll just get a thought that just pops up. You could say this. Then another pop thought pops up. You say that, it is not going to end well. <laughs> and that's where you have to determine, what am I going to choose? Am I going to give a harsh word, harsh response? Because half the time I'm thinking, okay, how do, I, how do I start neutralizing this? Do I need to say I'm sorry first? Because I will say I'm sorry first. I don't even know what I just did, but I will tell you I'm sorry. That doesn't work either. That gets you in a lot more trouble. But the biggest thing is you want to neutralize the threat. You want to get it all back down, everything hunky-dory, all normal. But you also have the flesh side that you get to choose. Life and death comes out of your tongue. You're going to eat that fruit. So the moment you speak it, you better be ready to make that plate. Because you're going to eat whatever comes forth. So... The next time you're in a conversation, you're in an intense time of fellowship, just remind yourself, are you ready to eat that plate? Because that's what you're about to manifest. And so you are the determining factor. So a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Well, we're not supposed to be stirring up anger. Let's go to the next verse, Psalms 19, verse 14. Psalms 19, verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth. Everybody say my mouth. And the meditation of my heart. Everybody say my heart. Be acceptable to you, Lord. That's what we want. That is our desire. And that's God's desire for us is that when he looks down, he sees his son. He doesn't want to look down and just see another created person. He wants to look down and see his son. We do that from Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. And confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart, the moment you do that, you become a new creation in Christ. And that is the same moment that when you look at it, you want to say, God, let the words of my mouth Let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. John chapter 12, verse 49. John chapter 12, verse 44. There you go. Jesus shouted. Oh, is that it? Nope. Nope. Verse 49. Go to verse 49. Is that it? Is it in there? We're going to look here. We're wrapping it up. we got two more scriptures. 49. Yeah, there you go. Jesus said this himself. He said, I do not speak on my own authority. He said, the father who sent me has commanded me what to say 
and how to say it. And so obviously if Jesus is our representation, if he is our avenue to follow, Jesus himself didn't even go through speaking all of the things he wanted to say. He said, I'm only here as a messenger. I'm here to represent God in the flesh. That's why he sent me. And he said, I don't speak on my own initiative. I don't speak on my own authority. He said, but the words that I speak come straight from God. And I'm speaking them so that way you can hear them. And then this last scripture I got, it's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10. And, it's, and it says this, that's really small back there. For the scripture says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Because we all want to have many happy days. We want to enjoy our life. But you see, we create some of the problems we were never designed to handle because we speak out life and death. It's in your tongue. It's in your power. And see, Jesus isn't down here, down here anymore literally taking our tongue and making us say things. He's given us our wor his word. There's a lot of words in this. And he's given this to us to be a tool, to be a resource that you can go through. You can learn what the father says. You can learn who you are in Christ. You can learn your identity, your position, the standards to live by. But if you don't start speaking them out and start creating the world around you, you'll never see any change. There's a thing that I've, I started doing a, a while back and it's, it's from another pastor um, let me find it. And so he does these declarations is what he calls them. Let me go to mine. And so he has a whole list of declaration, declarations for his life that he uses every day. And he'll declare these things over himself. And he's obviously in his message that he was talking about, he said, you can either take mine or create some of your own. But there's a whole list on my phone that I have and I try to read it every single morning. And he starts off and one of the sections that he has is because of Jesus. And so he goes on and he says, because of Jesus, I am a child of God. I am a spiritual contributor, not a spiritual consumer. I am alive because of Jesus. I am a faith-filled, life-speaking, fully devoted follower of Christ. I am Christ's ambassador in the earth. I am his masterpiece. I am content in Christ alone. I am chosen. I am determined to love God and people with everything I am. I am a child of God. I am strengthened by God who upholds me, protects me, and defines me. I am joyful. I am gentle. I am not easily offended, and I will not hold on to bitterness. I am patient. I am faithful. I am self-controlled. I am kind. I am known even before I was born by the king. I am steady. I am not alone. I am loved. I am fierce in confidence and boldness because God is with me. I am free. I am healed. I am unashamed. I am called. I am equipped to go after the righteous desires God puts in my heart. I am strong. I am fearless. I am secure. I am not a people pleaser because I answer to God first and seek to please him only. I am a new creation. I am not shaken. I am not stuck in worry because Jesus offers a peace the world cannot give. 
I am born again. I am more than a conqueror. I am named by God, not labeled by man. I am the light of the world. I am mighty in his power. I am the church and I exist for the world. And so he goes through these things because you understand that words have power. You might not, and especially for me, there's some of them that I'm still growing in. There's some of them that I'm still learning how to develop within me the mindset that Christ has already gained for me. And you have to understand this too, that Jesus sees the potential that he's placed in you from the very beginning. He sees who he's called you to be. He sees the steps you have to take. And he sees the end result of if you follow after him, where you'll be. Now it's our job to follow after him. But when we're constantly saying, I'm never enough. My parents said I was never gonna be good enough and I guess it's true. Or these kids, they're, they're gonna be the death of me. I mean, I've heard it. I've heard that conversation. And one of the things that my mom taught us at a very young age, I didn't even know what it meant until I got into my high school years. It's sad. It was really sad. But every time I would say something, I would look at my brother and I'd be like, I hate you. She would always immediately say, you bind and uproot it. Well, I don't want to. You're going to do it anyway. I'm like, well, uh, uh, fine, I bind and uproot it. I didn't even know what I was saying. And so all of a sudden I get older and I start understanding. And I mean, it stuck with me that I would literally respond that way. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit would just convict my heart. And I'd be like, oh, fine, I bind and uproot that Lord. And Lord, please forgive me. And then it finally stuck. And it finally had a light bulb moment in my mind. What she was having me say. Because the same words that I just spoke into existence, I'm the one that has control to bind up the same words I just created and fully uproot them out of my life so that way no bitterness, no self-pity, no offense can stay in my life. So those simple words of I bind and uproot you in Jesus' name. I didn't even know what it meant until I finally got old enough to understand that my words were creating something. She understood it. She knew that. They understood that with your words, you create your world. So you don't want to go down that path. You don't want to have the root of hate in your life. You don't want to have the self-pity in your life. I mean, there's been so many different conversations that we've heard. And I mean, some of the things that some parents say to children when you're out in public and everything else, I'm just like, if you only knew the power of your words that are coming forth right now, you would never say them. If you only knew the little person that God gave you, you would be speaking what this says. And I'm thankful that my parents, I mean, I was born and raised in a great godly home with godly examples for me to follow. But I remember they constantly were speaking this over me and my brother. They were constantly calling us men of God, young men of God. They were constantly praying over our purpose, praying over our destiny, praying over our wives and our children. And I mean, setting a foundation that I'm so grateful for. But it's sad for me to see nowadays in our society how little people value their words, how little they hold fast to what they say. Oh, I didn't mean that when I said it. Then why did you say it? If you didn't mean it, 
then why did you create it? Because now it's out there. Now it's, you literally gave birth to it. What you speak will birth new life. Thank you guys so much for checking out this week's message. If there is any message that you have missed or you just want to hear again, they are all available for free on iTunes. Just search Anchor Faith Church Valdosta and be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified once the new messages are available. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our church and what we have available for you and your family, or if you'd like to donate financially to the ministry, be sure to visit our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.